uh, on our way in this morning. Which one of you guys said it? Junie, I think, said. I was saying, you know, we haven't been back uh, to worship in the building with our congregation since December. And Junia says, Dad, do you think you still know how to pastor? You still know how to get up and say some things? I admitted to her as I admit to you. Uh, there's some rust that the Roscoe family is knocking off. Um, we're like, I, I said to Amy this morning, I was like, what time do we leave again? There used to be this time that I knew we left to go into the building and I had to try to remember that. Um, well, hey, I said this in an email last week. I want to say uh, to y'all face to face again, um, how meaningful it was uh, to hear from so many of you cards and calls and texts uh, after the passing of my father just over a month ago. Um, I've mentioned this to a couple of you that I've gotten to have conversations with. Uh, a very good friend of mine lost his mom uh, three years ago unexpectedly. Uh, and He's been a good conversation partner for me this last month. And one of the things that he said to me is that grief is on its own timetable. Um, and I've experienced that to be true, <laughs> uh, that there wasn't this like two-week window <laughs> that I could embrace and say, okay, let's get busy with grieving <laughs> and we'll be done. Um, but I find that things come and go. So I appreciate uh, uh, your prayers and welcome <laughs> more of them in the days to come as I continue to think about the loss of my dad. Uh, I have to say that the way that I've been feeling uh, pairs quite nicely with this season of Lent that we've just entered into. This time of grief and loss goes well with this season. Uh, Lent, why Lent exists on the Christian calendar. These are 40 days in which we're invited to remember, not just with our brains, but with our bodies. We're invited to remember the hardships and the suffering of God's people and of God himself in the person of Jesus. This is why Lent exists, at least part of why Lent exists for us. And today in particular, this remembering comes to us through um, two related passages. I'll mention all three of these by the time that we're done, but I want to look at two of them in particular. Uh, the first is in Deuteronomy 26. I'm going to read verses 1 to 11. Here's what we read. When you've entered into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all your produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket and then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in the office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to this land the Lord, the, the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. And then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. 
with great terror and with signs and wonders, he brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you in your household. It's a famous uh, philosopher by the name of uh, Alistair McIntyre. Um, I actually think I may have shared this quote with you before because it's something I come back to often and is super appropriate for us today. McIntyre says this, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself apart? We saw this in a particular way in the story that Amy exposed us to this morning, right? Whatever was going on for these kids, they just knew they were in the wrong story. There was something that they understood about themselves that told them this isn't the right place for us. And I think you and I as well probably get this on an experiential level if we think about family and family histories. I bet you can think of times that you felt a certain sense of expectation upon you about how you were to behave or make decisions based on what you inherited from your parents or their parents or all the way back or think about even all the way back to whatever your ethnic heritage might be and the sort of expectations that might have been placed on you, conscious or unconscious, about this is what we do, this is how we act, this is how we live. My mom did this and her mom did this and her mom did this and so I do it, or hey, you're a Roscoe, <laughs> and Roscoes do such and such, right? You're a Vitali. This is what Vitalis do. Deliver mail, apparently. You and your dad, right? You're an Okie. This is what we do as Okies. Fill in the blank. I was trying to remember this story the other day. Amy's parents were in town and helped me. Um, maybe you've heard this before about uh, a woman who whenever she cooked her roast, always cut the ends off the roast because that's the way her mother cooked the roast and that's the way her grandmother cooked the roast and that's the way her great-grandmother cooked the roast and come to find out the only reason those ends were ever cut off was because great-grandma didn't have a big enough pan <laughs> and here this woman thinks like the right way to cook a roast is to cut the ends off she's got all this extra room in her pan but she's still slicing off the ends of the roast. She, she understood implicitly that she was part of a narrative, part of a story, and this is the way that we do things in our family. So it's a perfect example of what McIntyre means in this quote. Our decisions and our behaviors are bound up with the stories and the histories that we find ourselves part of. Whether we acknowledge it or not, it's these stories that provide a sense of coherence to our lives. Like we get by in the world by virtue of the stories that we tell ourselves. We're always trying to make meaning out of our decisions and out of what other people are telling us and out of the news that we're taking in. We're always trying to make meaning of it. And we're always telling ourselves stories. 
to get a sense of coherence. And that's why it's one of the primary tasks of the church to be constantly rehearsing the story of God and God's people. Because it's ultimately that story, God's story, the story of the people of God and their journey with their God that's meant to bring the fullest and most life-giving sense of coherence and direction to our lives. Do we understand that? Like this story, the story of who God is and the story of how God has dwelt with his people and led his people, that God would say to us, this is how I mean for you to get coherence. Live your life out of this story. Uh, just recently, I didn't see her here this morning, but Sue Casto was reminding Amy and I of something that we haven't done here in a while, which is recite the Apostles' Creed. And so I'd love for us to do that together this morning uh, and use it to make a particular point. Many of you will know this, but let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That is, the Apostles' Creed is one of the most historic and universally shared ways that churches all throughout history and all across geography have sought to do this work of remembering, reminding themselves of the story that gives structure and direction to our lives as Christians. But back to Deuteronomy. Moses is here giving instructions to how the Israelites, upon taking possession of the promised land, are to behave, namely by bringing the first fruits of all of their produce to the priest. And as they declare the memory of God fulfilling his promises and the story of Jacob, their father, a wandering Aramean, and how God had rescued his people from slavery and, and oppression. And Moses is telling the people, you're going into this land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to have all that you will ever need. And there is a real danger you're going to forget where you've come from. The story of God and God's relationship with us. How long had the Israelites been wandering in the wilderness? Forty years they've been out wandering. The word, the, num the number 40 has a lot of significance throughout scripture, but one of the things that it represents is the passing of two generations. They thought of a generation in 20-year terms, and so 40 means two generations. And so for the most part, 40 years wandering in the wilderness means that there's this huge crop of people who are going to be going into the promised land who are two generations removed from the significance of the experience that led them to that place. So you can probably imagine this sort of scene around the campfires at night, that you get all the elders telling stories around the campfire 
And all the little ones having this initial sense of like, whoa, God did what? We were where? What was going on? This is amazing. But then after time, as everyone will understand, you get around that same campfire and you get things like, okay, grandma, I get it. Locusts, frogs, sea parting, blah, 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 blah. Can I go over to my friend's tent now or what? Right? This is what happens when we get familiar with stories. And so it's not hard to imagine why Moses went to such lengths to make sure that the great stories of God remained front and center as he gives the Israelites instructions on how to live and what to do once they entered the promised land. As one person I read this week said, Deuteronomy knows that when a people forget their past, they lose their present and their future. That really struck me. When people forget their past, they lose their present and their future. Now I want to jump ahead to the New Testament. I want to read a passage that relates to this, and it's also really the key text for this season of Lent. So Luke 4, verses 1 to 13, a familiar story for us. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it's written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone that I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written. And we read this together this morning from Psalm 99. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until a more opportune time. So think about these stories. In Deuteronomy, we have Moses' instructions to Israel after 40 years of God leading them through the wilderness. And then here, we have Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days as he was tempted by the devil. In Deuteronomy, we have Moses instructing the people to set aside the first fruits of their labors to the Lord as they remember all that God has done for them. Here we have Jesus surrendering all of himself and demonstrating that he's not uh, just, he, not, he not just remembers the stories of his ancestors or that he knows the scriptures, but that he has a direct and intimate relationship with his father. He is God's own son. And gang, this is actually probably what I'm most hoping for us to see this morning and that we might carry with us through the season of Lent. Lent's certainly a season that is meant for remembering the great stories of God's people, especially the ones 
where God's people had to cling to the promises of God, the promise that God would be with them through various trials and temptations. Those are especially important stories for us to hang on to. And just as Jesus would have ached as he fasted for 40 days, so too you and I, we may ache as we embrace various forms of fasting and sacrifice over this 40-day season. But the sacrifice is not the point. This is, this is what I really want to impress on us this morning. The sacrifice is not the point. Salvation is the point. Salvation is the point. God does not call us to contemplate our own mortality to depress us, but to remind us that he is the source of our life despite and beyond our mortality. That's what God calls us to. God doesn't smile on us because we fast or make sacrifices. But as we do fast or make sacrifices, what happens is that we have the opportunity to see his ever-present smile over us even more clearly. God does not rejoice in, the, in our embrace of hardships for their own sake. Like, he doesn't look down on us and look at who's deciding to suffer the most and say, that one. That's not God's disposition. But embracing hardships, by doing that, it makes us even more aware of God's constant joy in relating to us as his beloved son or his beloved daughter. The God that we worship is not one who demands that we sacrifice for him or for our own salvation, but who sacrifices himself for us and for our salvation. That's the God that we worship, and that's why we move through this season of Lent, remembering that that's who our God is. That, friends, is the great gift of the season of Lent. It is our rehearsal for the resurrection. Lent is our rehearsal for the resurrection that is to come. I want to wrap up by taking us just quickly to one final passage. Romans 10, allow me to read verses 8 to 13. Well, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. What's Paul saying here? I mean, you need to know that Romans 9, 10, and 11 are some of, like, the densest chapters in terms of writing in all of the New Testament. But there's something that Paul's saying here that's really important for us to get. My guess is that we'll read that, and all of us will kind of intuitively know he's not just trying to provide some sort of formula that we can use to somehow manipulate God into saving us. Like, hey, just say these words and voila. Like magic, you're saved. Of course, Paul is not saying that. Actually, what's going on here is that Paul is forcing people to reckon with where their true allegiance lies and to reckon with what story they really believe that they're a part of. If Paul had had a children's book, it would have, he would have been asking people, 
do you recognize that you might be in the wrong story? In Paul's day, the Roman Empire promised, like this was their language, the Roman Empire promised people salvation through what was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Here was the idea, place your faith, your hope and your trust in Rome and we will protect you from your enemies and we will ensure a good life for you. And all that was expected was that whenever called upon, every Roman citizen would declare, Caesar is Lord. And confess that when Caesar died, Caesar, the ruler of the Roman Empire, they would ask for a confession that these citizens believed that Caesar, when he died, would live on as a god, part of the pantheon, or in other words, that he would be raised from the dead. So everyone hearing Paul's letter would have heard his words against the backdrop of that very familiar reality to them as Roman citizens. In effect, what Paul is saying here is that there is one story that would have you believe that your salvation, that which ultimately brings you peace and comfort and well-being in this life, rests ultimately in the hands of worldly powers who use the means of violence to bring peace to all who live under the protection of their kingdom. That was how people were entreated to understand salvation in that day. And then Paul's saying, but there is another story. <laughs> there is another story that claims that Jesus is the one true Lord. And that through hardships, though hardships and sufferings are bound to come in this fallen world, we confess belief in a God who did not exempt himself from those hardships and those sufferings, like he took them on himself with us. And by virtue of his literal resurrection from the dead, has the right and power to offer us true peace and purpose as members of his body and citizens of his kingdom. These are competing stories, Paul is saying. Which one will we live in? In the first story, it's those who wield earthly power, who command allegiance under the threat of death, do this, say this, or die. And in the second story, it is the one whose sacrifice for our salvation, the one who has conquered death itself, who extends to us the invitation to join him right now in the life of the resurrection as citizens of his kingdom. And so, friends, may our journey through this season of Lent this year, which is a rehearsal for the resurrection, be a blessed reminder of the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the stories that are meant to shape us and guide us in this season of Lent, God, as we uh, participate in a rehearsal for the resurrection. Would we be able to see your smile over us, your joy for us with a new clarity? 